Calling all creatives and wannabe creatives. This episode is for you. I had the privilege of sitting down with Becky Kilimick and discussing her career as she is the CEO of the Concept Spot. She has been in graphic design for over 20 years and became a graphic designer before graphic design was a popular career path. She shares her successes, her stories, and how she got to live a life that she was passionate about and have the career of her dreams. So sit back, listen up, and find out how you can also make a living being a creative. You are listening to For Better Self and Net Worth. This is a podcast dedicated to self-improvement, self-discovery, living your best life, and managing your money. I'm your host, Ella, and I hope you enjoy listening today. Welcome back to For Better Self and Net Worth. Today, I'm really excited. I have my friend, Becky Kilimick. Becky and I connected on Instagram. She has an amazing podcast called Homespun Haints, where we talk about hauntings, all the storytellings, anything ghost, paranormal related. She is your girl. And she is also an entrepreneur for a company. She has a business called The Concept Spot. She has over 20 years in everything graphic design, including building websites, catalogs, textbooks. And she has done this for quite a while. And she's going to share with us today her journey as an entrepreneur and give us some words of wisdom on business owner mentorship. Hi, Ella. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Yes. I'm excited to have you. I'm honored that you wanted to be on the show. We both had the Kingsport connection, right? Kingsport, Tennessee. Yeah. (laughs) And I found your podcast and it was so weird because the lady that told stories from Kingsport, she talked about, a story of a lady. She went from Bland County, Virginia to Abingdon, Virginia. So that's kind of the path that my dad was on. He grew up in Bland County, now lives in Abingdon. And when I heard that, I was like, I've got to reach out to them. (laughs) What a cool coincidence. I mean, it's just so cool to meet somebody from Kingsport. Right? Yeah, somebody that knows why I need to get a pal's tea, a giant 32 ounce tea every time I'm in the Tri-Cities. Oh man. Yeah. That'd be like, just have to spend the next month getting rid of it. Oh, I know. Well, no, I get, I get unsweet. I know that's oh. just in the mouth. Unsweet, but I flavor it with the extra lemon. Okay. If I, get, if I get sweet tea, it kills my immune system. It's, it's so bad. It's like 3000 calories of that one tea. It's so bad for yeah. you. I don't know how I did it in college. I used to drink sweet teas every day on top of Starbucks latte. And I was like a, like a size four. Oh, I really, yeah, I know. Maybe it was all the walking. I don't know. Probably. <laughs> oh, well, um, you asked me what my journey was like to get yeah. there. Um, I, uh, speaking of walking, yeah, I did a lot of that in college. That was kind of, I um, actually went to college to be an archaeologist. So uh, I always knew I wanted to be an artist. And so my my parents told me absolutely not. They said that we w- they would not help with college at all if I chose art. So I chose archaeology because I figured that would be something kind of easy I could do and study and then learn the art stuff on the side while they weren't looking. Yeah. And that's precisely what I did. I got, I got my degree in anthropology and 
my senior year, I would actually skip class to go temp at ad agencies in downtown Chicago. <laughs> so, we both have the advertising background. <laughs> yes, yes. So that would that, would, that was kind of how I got my foot in the door. And I um I did my college internship with a record label that like the only record label in Chicago that needed had like an in-house design department. So I just kind of taught myself. I was like, this is what I want to do. I'm going to be a graphic designer, come hell or high water. And um, I graduated in the year 2000 and, you know, the dot-com bust happened then. I had an inkling it was coming. And I also knew that without a degree in this field, it would be hard for me to get a job if that happened before I graduated. So I actually busted my butt and graduated three months early so I could get a job before the bust happened. And yeah, I was, I was in good shape. I worked in corporate for three years, got to where I really realized it wasn't for me being in a corporate job. I mean, now this is, this is 20 years ago. So this was like, if you were a woman working in a corporate job, um, like my, 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 the second company I worked for, it had a dress code. Like you had to wear stockings every day. Um, you had to show up on time. There was none of this like working from home. Nobody had a laptop. Like you had to show up at 8 a.m. and be in front of your computer. And um, it was also Chicago. So if there was a blizzard, you had to leave two hours early so that you could make it through the blizzard to be at work on time. I just hated it. It just wasn't for me. And I thought maybe I would do better as a professor. So I went back to school and got my MFA and started teaching in Chicago and also realized that wasn't quite a good fit. I loved it. I love teaching, but I also didn't like the fact that somebody else was in control of my time. And I think this is something that a lot of people end up going into business for themselves because they just want to be in control of their time, in control of their own schedules. Um, if that's not something you're interested in, then maybe it's not for you because you really have to be very diligent about budgeting your time and, and, you know, being on top of yourself. But, um, I, I also come from a long line of entrepreneurs. My dad has his own business. My grandfather had his own business and I just kind of grew up like knowing I would one day do that. So when, uh, my husband decided he wanted to go back to school in Florida. We left Chicago. I quit my teaching job. We moved to Florida and I initially tried to get a job and I couldn't. We were in Daytona Beach. Nobody had even heard of graphic design. Nobody knew what that was. <laughs> I didn't realize how specialized I was. And the only choice I had was to start a business. It kind of just happened. And I did. And it, I, I, um, reached out to clients in Orlando and uh, was able to get some, some pretty solid work coming in. Um, while I was building up my business, I tempt again, which I recommend if you, if that's something you need to do, like temp, whatever you got to do, bootstrap it. Uh, I, I tempt for about two, three days a week. And then the other two, three days, I started to build up my client portfolio, started to work more and more with various clients, tried to work in-house, pulled on the contacts I had from corporate, my corporate days. Some of the students that I had gone, I had been teaching were now in their own jobs. So I was able to talk to them and get some client work from them. And everything was fine and dandy until the recession hit. 
And then I decided, well, maybe I don't really know how to go, how to run my own business. So I went back to school again and got an MBA. And um, after that, fell into a few weird things. I started an art gallery. That was an adventure. I went back to teaching. I taught for four years at a local college. That was also an adventure. Then ended up working on the administrative side at Georgia Tech. And then finally was like, you know, what the, What am I doing? I know what I should be doing. <laughs> so I went back. I reopened the same business that I had started in Florida back in 2006. Uh, and here I am. It's four years later, been going strong and can't imagine doing anything else. But I feel like I had to do all those other things before I realized, no, this is, this is really what I should be doing. Yeah. Almost trial and error. You just had to experience a lot of things to know where you fit into. Yeah. And I think also part of the reason that I kept trying so hard, resisting the like entrepreneurial sirens call, if you will, is because they're, I think societally, there's a lot of um, pressure to, you know, like, oh, it's it's almost, at least where I'm at, it was almost seen as like uh, irresponsible to try and freelance or work for yourself, um, especially when I have an MBA, like, I could just go get a job, right? Like, I've got a I've got an MBA, like it should be easy. <laughs> and, uh, and I kept trying and I kept trying and it kept coming back and hitting me in the face. Like, no, this is not what you're supposed to be doing. So I, for me also, it was like learning to trust that, no, I, I really should be working for myself. Nothing else really fits. And so, you're going to be the best boss you ever had. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but I, uh, because I've been doing it for so long, I have learned some really tough lessons <laughs> along the way. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, that's that's when you say be the best boss. Your boss always needs to advocate for you. Like if, if you're a corporate setting or wherever, you need to have a boss that is going to support you and stand up for you and advocate for you. And it's the same if you're working for yourself. You really need to be your own best advocate and not doubt yourself. Yeah. And you talk about, sense. you talk about society and how they responded to you starting your own business, mm-hmm. kind of how they look at it. And <laughs> a lot of times people have a tendency to project their own fears onto others. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I get a lot people saying, oh, that how do you do that? How do you, how, aren't you terrified? How do you manage to like not know from day to day how much money you're going to have your bank or um, if you're going to get clients? That's a, that's the biggest question I get is like, how do you get clients? And um, it's, it, I, I think the whole irresponsibility part of it too comes from knowing that when you first start your own business, you're not going to be making a a ton of money. You're not going to like leave your corporate job and then make as much as you made in your corporate job on day one of your business. You're going to, you're going to have some lean times and you can prepare for that. You can save up, you can make sure that you're prepared for it, but it is going to be lean. And during those lean times, I think there's that like feeling like, well, I could be making X amount of dollars every month, but no, I quit that. And so I, you know, I, I feel like I'm not necessarily 
yeah, it, it, like I said, it feels kind of irresponsible. Like, oh, well, I'm trying to do my own thing and maybe it'll work. But I, I had this great corporate job that I just threw away because, oh, I just don't listen well to others and I don't take orders well from others, which also is kind of what it came down to for me. I don't play well with others. So. <laughs> and here's, here's the thing. Everyone I know that has a successful business works longer hours than anyone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I have a friend that owns a dance studio and, you know, she talks about it. She says, you know, she's working the longer hours. She sacrificed weekends, has a hard time finding time. And of course, you know, I've got friends who own, I have a friend that owns an architectural firm, same thing. It's the hours that they put in and the self-management and the yes. self-discipline that's something that not everyone has. I think I think there really are the, the types of people that are willing to put that time in, are willing to self-discipline and um, work those weekends and work those long hours and make it work. Those people just fall apart in a corporate setting and vice versa. Um, There's some people that are and, and both both are completely valid. Like if you are somebody that, you know, you you thrive in a corporate setting, that's awesome. I envy that sometimes because it's like, oh, it's a steady paycheck and all that. But if that if that just eats away at your soul, then you're probably the type of person that would be more than willing to put in the extra hours. You have that faith in yourself. You know that you can make it work and you're willing to work your knuckles to the bone for little pay until you can get to that point. Just out of curiosity, your friends that have those businesses, have they been doing it for a long time or are they relatively new at it? Each of them has been in business for over 10 years. Okay. Yeah. I bet they love it though. They love it. And it's evolved. Like each business has evolved over time. And has changed and had to change with the trends. Yeah, yeah. That's that's another thing too, is you have to be able to um you have to be willing to evolve. And that's something that I found too a lot in even in my industry. I started out saying I am only gonna be a print designer. I am only gonna do brochures, catalogs. I, I got into textbooks with my business when I started my business. That was my focus. I designed yeah, children's educational backgrounds perfect for that. Yeah. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And uh, I refused, I refused to touch web design. And then more and more people started coming to me and saying, can you do our website? And I was like, "Uh, okay, so I hired a developer. And so I just paid him and he built the websites and I designed them. And I was like, okay, I can do this if somebody else is building it. And then he went and got his PhD and wasn't willing to work for me anymore because he had loftier things going on. And um, when I was approached by the first college here in Atlanta to teach for them, I, um, they said, we need somebody to teach web design. And I said, I, I don't think I'm your girl. Like, I, I, I built websites, but I've always had a de- develop. And they're like, we're so desperate. I'm sure you'll figure it out. <laughs> and so I taught, I had two weeks. They basically had somebody... I had a professor who left in the middle of the semester and they needed to fill the slot right away. And I taught myself to code in two weeks after 15 years of saying, I'm not going to do this. And I got in front of the classroom and I taught it for four years. And now I can build websites. 
now I'm like a full-blown WordPress developer. I know four languages, but it was all about like, that's where the work is. And yeah. um, most recently I, I started doing simple digital animation as well for some of my clients. Years and years and years, I was like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And then I was like, it's mm, where the money is. <laughs> it's extremely impressive that you have all this education and all this talent. Well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> it, you know, it's, it, it seems really impressive on paper, but that's also part of the reason I could never have a job now. Like nobody would hire me. I always joke around that my resume looks like spaghetti and it does. Um, and it's also part of, part of my issue. I guess it makes me good as an entrepreneur and terrible um, in a work environment is I get bored really easily. So I'm constantly like, oh, well, let's new, let's learn a new thing. Let's try this. Let's give it a shot. Oh, that sounds like fun. Let's let's do it some more. So. Yeah, multi-passionate. And sometimes being multi-passionate can take a lot out of you. But being multi-passionate, I consider myself multi-passionate because I've got oh, my yeah. podcast, I've got my corporate job. I love mm-hmm. doing dance classes on the side. I am an outdoors person. I have mm-hmm. so many things. I'm actually dabbling in photography. I have so many things I'm passionate about. That is so cool. Like, how do I delegate that. my time? But I've seen... You, I found out yesterday you play the violin and you do a really <laughs> mean violin. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Paintings are so much fun to watch. Thanks. Um, I yeah. Well, like I said, I I I I do. I get bored easily, but I also I can't imagine not doing all of those things. Like the the violin playing to me is just another way to express myself. It's like in another language. I can't, it's, it's a way I can express myself that I can't do through words, but I can pick up my instrument and play. And that's, that's not, that's something I started doing when I was four. I can't take credit for that. That was my parents saying, you will learn violin. You will not quit and not letting me quit. <laughs> so <laughs> I took, I took violin through the, um, gosh, what's it called? The Suzuki Association of Northeast Appalachia or something like that. It was in Kingsport where I learned violin. And I actually yeah. played with the Kingsport Symphony for a couple of years in high school. Were, and, and your high school you went to was one of the few high schools in the area that had a sympathy program. Mm-hmm. Yep. Orchestra. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, uh, yeah, I still, I'm still in touch with my orchestra director. We're friends on Facebook. Yeah. She, uh, she mentored me with violin for years and years and years. And, um, when I, uh, when, when I did start working in my, my first corporate job in Chicago, um, I mean, I was making a relatively decent salary for someone my age, but I also needed more because I was living by myself in Chicago. So I started teaching violin on the side to supplement my income and, um, and I actually got one of my first clients through that. I was, uh, one of the students I had was his father was a patent attorney. So I started doing technical illustrations for his, uh, his patent applications. So, um, you know, it's, you never know where your clients are going to come from. I'm being very tangential right now. I apologize. (laughs) You're getting a glimpse into my mind. It's, it's kind of all over the place, but, uh, yeah, violin is, is just always kind of been a part of my life and, um, it's just, it's just a fun thing that I, that I like. And I actually started a band during quarantine. So pulling it back out again. Nice. Now, are they going to be featured on Homespun Haints or on your Instagram? The band? The band? 
I don't know yet. We're trying to find, um, we've only been playing together for maybe about eight or nine months. So we're trying to find some gigs around Roswell, the town I live in now. Yeah. Roswell, Georgia? Yeah. Yeah. Such a pretty town. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I went to a Dave Matthews concert. I was that three or four years ago. Mm-hmm. And met up with some friends. Her brother had a house in Roswell. Nice pool. Oh, it's, yeah, we love it here. It's yeah, really it's beautiful. It's beautiful. So you went from Chicago to Roswell. Actually, I went from Chicago to Daytona Beach and then to Roswell, Midtown Atlanta, and then Roswell. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So you've kind of seen all the, you've seen all the scenery because I went straight from Kingsport, Johnson City. To Nashville, like in my comfort zone. This is where I feel rooted. <laughs> I don't know. There's a big difference between Kingsport and Nashville, though. Yes. Not yes. even the same time zone. No. In Kingsport, there's some parts of Kingsport. I went back. So for my job, my corporate job, I travel all over Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And I remember seeing some new components to Kingsport, some components that are just the same. <laughs> How, how's it doing? Is uh, Are there new industries in there? Or is it still pretty much Eastman running the show? Pretty much Eastman. You know, that smells like money. The, the, the <laughs> smell. <laughs> but it looks like Bristol is the city that's growing right now with the new shopping center. They're getting a casino, last I heard. Whoa. Some jobs. <laughs> People were against it, but here's the thing. When people gamble in Tennessee, the government has more money. People are getting free educations because of gambling. It's exactly even take. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Well, I'm 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 surprised that they eventually allowed it, but I'm glad. I I remember when I was in high school, Rob Zombie or uh White Zombie then before it was just Rob Zombie. Yeah, I remember uh, that. I was in fifth grade. Yeah. <laughs> They tried to play in what was it? They 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 tried first tried to play in Johnson City and got banned, and so they moved to Bristol. <laughs> oh, but what's really funny is they called it the Gray Ballet. I thought it was a legit ballet studio, but it was the Mouse's Ear. Oh, <laughs> entertainment club. They called it that. So Johnson City didn't want it. Bristol didn't want it. It moved to Gray, Tennessee, probably the most conservative point in the Tri Cities. And then people, would, people in our church would be like, you know, the, the great ballet. <laughs> I didn't know the mouse's ear moved there. <laughs> the mouse's ear wasn't gray. <laughs> I don't know how it ended up in gray with the, such a conservative <laughs> leadership structure. You know, the good old boys network. One's but, going to it, though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're, they're vocalizing against it, but mm-hmm. you know they're there hanging out. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so we talked a little bit about networking, and you talk about you never know where your clients are coming from, and some of the some of the challenges you've had with that, and just well, what has come your way through networking? <laughs> sure. So, yeah, students, um, mentees, everybody, that's like the number one question. How do you get your clients? And my, I, the only answer I can say is, you, first of all, you never know. 
You can't just go to a chamber of commerce meeting with your business cards and get clients. That doesn't work. I've tried, I've tried everything. That doesn't work. You can't go to a networking event because everybody there is doing the exact same thing. You get your, so first of all, to let me back up a little bit, the type of work I do, I'm business to business. I'm not working with, um, individual cust like, like, you know, like, it's not like a shop where I have customers coming in and buying things. I have to develop relationships within large corporations, but those corporations are made up of people. So I need to develop direct relationships with people working in corporations. I can't do it by sending cold emails. I have to do it through interpersonal connections and never ever being mean to anyone, never burning any bridges and just being a good person. And like, that's really what it comes down to. I have had, um, I have a really good client that comes, that came from a former student. I had, like I said, mentioned technical illustration. I got into it because of one of my violin students. I have another awesome client that I got through one of my classmates when I was at Georgia tech working on my MBA. I have, um, several clients that have come to me because they've been referred to me f- through former coworkers. I have, um, pe- you know, people that have touched base because my clients referred them to me. I have, Oh gosh, what are some unusual ones? <laughs> um, I'm a mom. So through my kids preschool, I have met other moms and then they remember me when they need a graphic designer in the court, their corporations. Cause um, you know, a lot of them are in marketing, marketing departments need graphic designers, communicators. It it comes from everywhere. I think one of the most creative ways I got a client was I, um, when I first opened my business, I, I didn't know anything. I didn't actually have that many connections. Um, and I'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. But so I made a list of the clients that I wanted that were in the area. And I said, okay, I want Harcourt. This, back before it was Houghton Mifflin Harcourt. It was just Harcourt. They were located in Orlando. I want NASA. I want um, this bank that I banked with and a couple others. I can't remember them now. But Harcourt, I had, I actually applied for a job there and went in, interviewed. They loved me. They called me. They offered me a position and when they offered me the salary, I laughed and laughed because it was lower than what I had been making as a professor and it would involve a 72-mile commute. And it, it was awful. But while I was in the interview, I made sure I got the business cards of the people who were interviewing me. And after I was sure that that like they weren't going to come back and counteroffer, I called the art director. You know, it was like one of the most painful calls I ever but I called and I left him this voicemail and it was so like, I wrote it out and rehearsed it multiple times. And it was something like, hi, this is Becky. I interviewed with you. Uh, you know, things didn't work out with a position, but it seems like you really like what I do and I really like what you do. So how about we talk about me working as a contractor for you? And he called me back a few hours later and they became my biggest bread and butter client for, you know, a few years. Nice. The bank, the bank that I wanted to work with, um, they actually called me once with like a credit card offer kind of thing. And I said, 
I said, I'll get your credit card if you put me in touch with your marketing communications person. Yes. And then they became a client. So um, those were some things where I didn't necessarily have connections, but I made the connections. But it was through, it was creatively. Like it was very much like, like with the interview, I'd already proven myself. I had shown them my portfolio. They wanted to hire me. And the crazy thing is I actually ended up working for them a solid six months and then a few jobs after that. But in that six months, I made 50% more than what they'd offer me as a year salary. So. <laughs> yeah. You never know where it's going to lead to. And that's, that's a struggle that a lot of creatives have is mm-hmm. finding work that's going to pay them a livable salary. Well, first of all, I, it seems like a lot of creatives don't value themselves high enough. They don't ask for enough money. And unfortunately, this is, it's kind of becomes this vicious cycle. You have, um, there's seems to be this belief in, at least in my industry that, especially among women, I don't think men suffer quite as much with this, but, oh, well, it's fun. You enjoy what you do. So we shouldn't pay you as much. Oh, it's almost like a, it's almost like a imposter syndrome, like a variation of imposter syndrome. Since I'm having this, I shouldn't make anything off of it. Yeah. And it took me a long time to like, um, well, you know, I, I luckily didn't fall into it too much, but boy, did I get a lot of resistance because I was like, no, I have, I have a master's degree in this. Like I have a terminal degree in this. I used to be a professor of this, pay me what I'm worth. And I would still get so much pushback. I mean, that that job that I that they offered me that I turned down, they offered me thirty five thousand dollars, and I had a master's degree at that point, five years industry experience, and um, had been a professor. So I just I, I don't understand. Like that's a starting salary. <laughs> that's not an experienced. And, and and in my industry too, you're considered like advanced, like at five years you know, it's, you're not, you're certainly not junior level anymore. Um, at 20 years, I mean, everybody, (laughs) pretty much everybody starts their own business at 20 years or they, or they move on to other things. They become a marketing manager or, um, creative director or something like that. They're not still doing the actual work, but, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's appalling. And I also see a lot of, um, this, this idea that, Oh, well, especially now, thanks to Canva. And Canva's a great tool. It's awesome for people who, you know, need quick graphics. But unfortunately, I think that it's sort of created this illusion that, you know, professional quality graphics are something anyone can do. And I see these job postings all the time, like looking for an administrative assistant with graphic design skills and some, you know, social media marketing, you know, $12 an hour. And it's like, no. Social media marketing is its own thing. <laughs> Graphic design is its own thing. And that's not something that your secretary, sh- I mean, that, that's another job. That person has enough on their plate. They do not need to be trying to manage your Instagram and your Facebook and create graphics for it. Yeah. So that's, um, but unfortunately, I think that that is a challenge. Yeah. And I'll add, I, I have a Canva Pro membership. I use Canva and some of the graphics that I've created from Canva I will see two or three other things that look just the same. Yes. 
Yes, that is the problem you run into. Um, and that's, and, and again, that is great. If you're just trying to create a quick Instagram post or, um, you know, something that's not, you, you wouldn't want to use Canva to design your billboard that you're spending $30,000 to put up. You wouldn't use Absolutely it. not. And it's not good for, um, like, for instance, some of the things I've done, like catalogs or uh, books, textbooks, things like that. You need to have very specialized knowledge of how a printing press works and how to set up pages and all of that. And you need specialized software to do that. And that's another frustration I encountered where I won't get hired for a job, but then they'll come back to me later and be like, well, the guy we got on Fiverr sent us this, but the printer says it won't work. Can you fix it? <laughs> the thing would be to hire me for that project. That's what you should say. Yes. <laughs> well, you know, those, the fixing projects always cost more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. But. And that's, that's why we need you because you understand all the ins and outs of graphic design mm-hmm. versus having an administrative assistant, most likely putting them in and having them figure it out on their own, how to create graphics. Right. Right. And, and I mean, God bless somebody who does end up in that kind of job and then they find their passion in graphic design and they wouldn't have otherwise like that is awesome. But if that's the case, then you need to get out of, you need to go and pursue that. Or if you find that you really love social media marketing, if you can do social media marketing well, don't let somebody pay you um, like a junior level. That's a specialized marketing skill. Go and pursue that and get yourself, because marketing jobs pay a lot better than something with the title of administrative assistant. And you need to make sure that you're getting paid your worth. Absolutely. And finding those jobs being like in a saturated market. Mm -hmm. I know with, with advertising, that's what I ran into is it's a saturated market. So I was working when I worked for an ad agency, had that quote unquote dream job. I was working two other jobs on top of that, just to be able to live in the city that the jobs are in. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I just realized that kind of burnout for me was not worth it. I wanted to be able to have a life. Yeah. Yeah. So did you go from an agency to like an in-house corporate job? Is that what you ended up doing? So I went, yeah, I went from, so I went from an agency, basically an overglorified internship, but I was willing to do it. And I worked retail on the side right out of college. Then I went to, basically it was in a recession. So Mm -hmm. I graduated in 2008 ended up selling phones at Verizon because it paid good money for someone right out of college. Mm-hmm. And then when I was in Verizon, I got picked by one of the vendors to do build marketing and training. Uh-huh. Did that for about six years. And when that position was eliminated, everybody's buying Apple and Samsung. So my company basically had, it basically forced my position to get eliminated. Wow. And I kind of took that as a sign. It's like, let me go back to doing what I studied to go to college for worked for an ad agency, which is a great experience, but it was a huge pay cut. Uh And when you have to go back on what you're making, that's a lot of adjustments, especially with what my rent was at the time. Right. And I went into it and I was, it was, again, it was had to be there at nine o'clock. Couldn't leave until six on call outside the hours. I mean, you were basically chained to a desk 
And sometimes I'm in an office and trying to find things to do. Yes. I hate that. I yes. hate that. <laughs> I went back into sales and training to having a remote job to kind of have ownership of my time. And mm-hmm. it just, you know, it's no secret that territory management jobs, sales jobs are going to pay a lot more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you, and you, you're in charge of your own time. That is like the best of both worlds. Yeah. Steady paycheck and <laughs> being in charge of your, yeah, being in charge of your own time. Now I still work 40 plus hours a week mm-hmm. in this job, but if I have a doctor's appointment, no problem. If I, you know, on the weekends or nights off, I still have time to fit some of my passions into it to my fit my podcast in Outside my corporate job, I have a lot of friends that I work with that are photographers. I have a friend that manages an Etsy business. So we all have that opportunity to make a steady paycheck and still Mm -hmm. pursue our passions outside work. That is, that is awesome. And I love it when people are able to do that. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, you you really, it it really is kind of the best, the best of both worlds. You you get that, that thing fueling your soul. Exactly. You know, money in the bank. It's a huge blessing. I got to tell you, as somebody who's been working for myself for so many years, those few times when I have gone back and taken mostly academic jobs, but like, you know, when that money just appears in my bank every two weeks, I'm like, whoa, oh my gosh, I'm so not used to that. (laughs) I didn't even invoice for that. I didn't have to call the client and yell at them and be like, where's my $1,800? You know, just showed up. Taxes got taken out and everything. When you have clients that are not paying up, Mm -hmm. that's got to be challenging. Yes. There'll be a lot of anxiety around that. So the way it was really, really tough when I first started, um, when, when I started my business the first time I was, I was the breadwinner. My husband was in school. It was sink or swim. Like it was all on me. I had to find clients. I had to, I made a lot of mistakes. Um, you know, putting all my eggs in one basket with a big bread and butter client versus trying to diversify. That was mistake number one. I knew it was a mistake. I did it anyway. Focusing on cash flow instead of um, revenue. That's another big mistake that starting entrepreneurs make. I wanted to make sure I had a certain amount coming in every month as opposed to looking at the overall picture. What was I making in a year? And when you do that, you tend to take on jobs that you probably shouldn't just because you're like, Oh, I'm $300 short. Okay. I'll, I'll do your business card, even though you may never pay me in your business's bail bonds. And yeah. So I, <laughs> I did all that crap that I shouldn't have. Um, but, um, you know, wasn't very good at like keeping connections alive. I probably spent too much on corporate gifts for people and like tchotchkes and stuff like do not, let anybody talk you into buying 250 slinkies with your logo on them. Like I made all the mistakes, but um, I don't even remember where I was going that. <laughs> yeah. But sometimes making those mistakes instead of looking at that as something that held you back, look at that as a lesson. Say, okay, oh, yeah, moving yeah. Forward, I'm not going to do that. Moving yeah, forward. Exactly. And, and now like, first of all, I in dual income, I don't have to worry about those things as much. I um, I can be very, very choosy about my clients, and I am. And I turn down people all the time because sometimes it's just like a gut feeling. Like, I feel like you're not going to pay me. You know, if, if you balk at the cost of something when I tell you and you try to negotiate me down, 
excuse me. Um, I found that, yeah, I might, you know, even if I go down in my price, turns out you, you may not pay me when it comes time to pay. If you couldn't handle the original costs and then I worked extra, those clients tend to take extra time. Um, I, I am very, very picky about working with clients where I don't know anybody at the company um, and demanding deposits up front. That's another lesson that I've learned the hard way. I am very, very careful about bartering. I do that to like, actually I'm having my bedroom remodeled right now and I'm bartering a website for that with the contractor. And, you know, so I'll do, I'll do some bartering, but it's a good trade though. It's a, yeah, but I mean, like I make sure it's all contract contracted out. Like it's, it's just set up, set up just as if it were, um, you know, uh, being paid in, paid in money. Like I'll have a contract that's signed both ways. None of this is like, you, you don't do anything based off of uh, verbal handshake or anything like that. It's all, it's all written down, signed, sealed. And um, I've learned the hard way that if you don't do it that way, and even if you do, I mean, sometimes you have to like, be like, okay, is it worth it for me to find a collections person for, you know, however much money that was that they owed you. So yeah, a bill in segments. That's another thing. If you do a really, really big job, don't wait until the end of it to send that massive bill, like bill every two weeks, or every month for the work completed that way too. That helps you with your cash flow. Yeah. So these are just some of the little lessons that help ease the pain of the mistakes that I've made in the past and that I've learned from. Yeah. I have a friend that's a photographer and she will take a deposit to do the photo shoot Mm -hmm. and then she'll set up payment plans and then not release the work until it's paid off. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And then takes out because you have to, or people will just. Yeah. Especially if you're, I don't want to be mean, but if if you're dealing with people instead of businesses, you're a little more likely to run into that. It's it, yeah, it's hard to tell what you're dealing with because, unfortunately, we kind of live in an instant gratification society mm-hmm. where people want want it now and they want it cheap and they want it free or, or free. It's just what 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 can you do for me? What What's is up with me? that? Oh my gosh, the free, the free. Yeah, I don't even I don't even deal with that. Like. I'm at the point where somebody broaches that. I just end the conversation. Yeah. Well, people, used, not- people used to ask me, like, how can, whenever I was working for an electronics company, they said, well, how can I get a free phone? Do you realize <laughs> that phones at the time were retailing at $1,200? Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't have access to get you a free phone or a free tablets. Ah. Uh. Uh, you know, I, I think everybody needs to work retail at some point in their lives. I think it's yes. like the best learning experience. You will never be a terrible, terrible at customer service after you've worked retail and you will be retail. nice to everyone around you. Rated tables. <laughs> Absolutely. And even now I see a lot of, I dealt with a Karen a couple of weeks ago. I was at Whole Foods just getting my coffee and this lady throws a fit because she, you know, they didn't have anybody working in the cafe at the time. This poor lady was covering the cafe and the juicing and the coffee. And then while I'm right behind her, she's got a buggy full of all these cheeses, meats, chips, and stuff. it's Whole Foods, but still, then she turns around. She's like, 
can you believe they don't make their juices in house anymore? It makes me so angry. Just so you know, if you get those juices over there, it came from a different company. I said, that's fine. She's like, well, I'm just letting you know in case you're a purist. And I'm thinking, lady, are you really a purist if you've got a cart full of cheeses? Right. <laughs> you know what goes with that sausage? Yeah. yeah. But she was going to fit. And then afterwards, the lady was gone. And the girl who's working um, at Whole Foods, she said, thank you so much for being patient with me. I said, look, I'm sorry you had to deal with that. It just, mm-hmm. she's like, this place is a haven for Karen's. I bet. <laughs> I, I remember hearing a story on NPR once about um, how there, I don't know, there's some condition where like, if you, if you like buy organic food and like feel like you're con- contributing in like a positive way to the the earth or whatever, it almost makes you feel like you can be a mean person in other ways. I don't remember. It was the article was called something like, you know, if you noticed how all the drivers in Whole Foods parking lots are rude or something like that. It's almost like a self-righteous. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's it's like Sunday customers. And I don't know if I, well, I'm going to just go and say it. When I worked at Kohl's and, and Verizon, Sunday customers were the meanest customers. And the theory was they go to church, get their sin out come back with a vengeance when they shop. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you just yeah. came back from church. What's your problem? It's <sighs> just angry. and to sit there for two hours. I mean, my God, <laughs> I did my penance for the week. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so true. And you know, that gets back to what I was saying. Like the best way to find clients is just to be a good person to everybody you meet. Cause you yeah. never know. When one of those people is going to say, you know what, I need a graphic designer or I need a photographer or I, you know, I need a copywriter, whatever it is you do. And they're going to remember you yeah, because you were at that party and you were nice to them or whatever. You pick their kids up from soccer. (laughs) It's all about energy. When what you're doing has good intentions behind it, people will pick up on that. Yes, exactly. Absolutely. Um, See, I'm trying to think. Well, I'll let you lead. Sorry. Yeah. I was going to ask just a few more questions. One is, what is your favorite book? What Did you read a book that inspired you for your business? Or what is your favorite book all around? Oh, well, that's a really tough question because I think my absolute favorite book is The Shining. But um, Oh, so good. It's so much better than the movie. You know, I, I know the Stanley Kubrick version is different, but I liked them both. <laughs> yeah, but but yeah, no, the book the book was awesome. The book was incredible. Um, I I don't read much nonfiction. Um, I think it comes from so many years of being an academic, or or when I made text. Oops, sorry, made textbooks or designed textbooks or wrote copy for my students because I taught a lot, a lot online and I created my own lesson plans and just was full of nonfiction all the time. And so I rarely read nonfiction because I prefer to read fiction just as a way to escape from all of that. But um, there are two books that I read, Made to Stick, and I can't remember who wrote it. I had to read it for my entrepreneurial program at Georgia Tech, which it does have uh, Georgia Tech as an entrepreneurial program, which is why I chose it. 
And then uh, The Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell. I really was inspired by that. I'm writing these down. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So made to, made to Stick is about like how, how products become sticky. So basically how a product could become viral, if you will, like what makes it so that, you know, it becomes the new it thing that everyone has to have. And then the tipping point is about, you know, when you, when you reach that level of success in your business or your podcast or whatever, where, you know, you're just you're incrementally tr- trying to get up and up and up and you hit that tipping point and then it takes off. So it's a, uh, they were, they're both really neat. They both kind of help frame the way I think about business and how, <laughs> and also chance and how there's, there is so much that's, that we can't control. Um, and one neat thing about the tipping point too was the way Gladwell defined three different types of people that you need to have in order for your business to take off. Like you need to have somebody who's the type of person who spreads the word about things. You need to have the person who's the early adopter that is going to use your product the first time. And they, they he needs to be connected to the person that's going to spread the word. And talked about the idea of six degrees of separation, how we're not, we, it's not that we all are connected to everybody else through six degrees of connect uh, separation. His point was that we are actually all connected to one person that's connected to everyone. There's like people out there that just know everyone. And if you can get to know that person, then you're going to be in good shape. Interesting. Yeah. So I recommend reading it. It's, it's a neat book. I mean, yeah, it's, it's pop business, but and pop psychology kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, I like, but I love it. I'm all about it. And speaking (laughs) of psychology, fiction can be very therapeutic because it's a way to escape the real world. I mean, George R. R. Martin got me through the pandemic last year and being locked in my house. Uh huh. Awesome. (laughs) Stephen King. I begged my parents to let me read Stephen King growing up. Now that I finally get to, I read it two years ago. Oh, me too. (laughs) So good. And what people don't understand is when they watch the movie It, which they're both great, but the movie It is mainly a clown. Mm -hmm. But It takes form in the Stephen King book of every fear each person has. Right. Right. It's so good. So well written. I mean, it's got some scenes in it that I was not too fond of, but overall, it's worth, it's worth it. And it's so, it's, I mean, I love how it's about not so much, I mean, that's horror, but also it's a metaphor for, you know, these horrors that were taking place around these kids and how the adults wanted to turn a blind eye to it. Yeah. They didn't, they, they, you know, it's, it's about like that idea of like not wanting to face what's around you and it's easier just to pretend it's not happening. Um, you know, much like the ministry of magic in Harry Potter. Yes. Oh, I, I definitely feel like there's a real life ministry of magic <laughs> for the muggle world. <laughs> That's a whole thing that I, I probably shouldn't get into on the show, but <laughs> You know, and we had, we had the umbrages in our life. We had people that only wanted to give us their point or force their views on us mm-hmm. and limit us in life. We, that's why, and Stephen King even said it, that Dolores Umbridge is one of the worst villains out there because mm-hmm. we have all met someone like her at one point in our lives. Absolutely. And 
definitely an entrepreneurship. You meet those people. You, you have a lot of umbrages out there trying to limit you and your beliefs. Right, right. It's Absolutely. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> How many people tell you you can't do it? Oh, hi, kitty. I see a tail. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's a cattail. <laughs> yeah, my co-host is sitting right beside me. You'll hear him snoring and purring on the show. Oh, I just, I just figure as part of our brand, you know, yeah. it's part of my life. Oh, hey, I see his face now or her face. Yeah. Here, say hi. This is Ella. Hi. Her name, she's named after you. Oh, her name is Ella? That is perfect. I have a cat named Ella. I love that. My daughter named her. She wanted to name her after Cinderella. So, Oh, that's perfect. I have a Disney cat. I have a Simba. Oh, that's right. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Now tell me about the one thing, since this was formerly a budgeting podcast, Mm -hmm. everybody has something that they like to treat themselves with, that they do not go cheap on. What is your favorite thing to splurge on to treat yourself to? Um, any, sorry, my screen's moving because the cat's bumping up against it. <laughs> that's okay. Any technology that's going to make my job easier. You, the one thing that you never have enough of is time. And so if you can invest a little bit more money into a faster processor or, um, uh, better software, or like I, I have um, a Wacom, ta- a Wacom tablet that I use to to do my drawings on, and you know, just uh, oh, cool. I have like the, the best of the best MacBook Pro computer, and I upgrade it every two or three years. I, I, you know, I make sure I always have the industry standard software. Yeah, I could do all this stuff for a lot less. Everyone's like, why don't you do a, use a PC? They're so much cheaper. And why do you need the brand name stuff? And why do you have to have a knife? No, because it is this, this technology was designed for the work I do. Yes, it costs three times as much, but I work three times as fast. Yeah. And it's, it's a complete no brainer to me. Like, yeah. the, and, and, you know, the funny thing is I've noticed that like, if I start feeling like, I'm getting behind in my work or I just can't seem to catch up or things are taking longer than they should. That's usually a sign that I need to upgrade my technology. That's like the first thing that's, yeah, that's the first thing I do. And usually the problem goes away. It's not me. It's just that, you know, I need to, I need to get a faster processor or whatever. I I fully agree because, and I'll tell you this, I'm not an Apple person. I'm like the friend that carries the Samsung phones over Apple, but my MacBooks, I know a MacBook's going to last way longer than a PC. Mm-hmm. So I'll always go with the MacBook instead of, you know, the Chromebooks or whatever is popular outside of Apple right now. Yeah, it will last longer. It's very robust. Um, I've got a two terabyte drive on this thing, so it holds all of my videos and audio files. And before I got it, I was I was wasting so much time just like uploading everything to an external hard drive. And I was like, no, it's the time that I'm spending. Um, I mean, think like you know, if you if you put say time as money, and you charge a hundred dollars an hour for your services, which you should be if you're an entrepreneur, um, and it's going to cost you an extra thousand dollars to upgrade your technology. Is it saving you more than 10 hours in the entire length of time you're going to use that piece of technology? Yes, absolutely. I keep bumping my mic. Yes, absolutely. So it's worth it. It's worth it. So I think that's, uh, if you start thinking about time and put a dollar amount to it, then it kind of helps make those decisions a little bit more. um, I don't know. Time is money. 
Yeah. Time and money. I completely agree. Now I want you to tell everyone where they can find you, where they can find your business. Since fall is upon us, tell everyone about Homespun Haints. And then I would love to hear just some words of wisdom to leave the listeners with. Okay. Um, well, yeah, my name is Becky Kilimnick and my, my business is The Concept Spot. You can find me at theconceptspot.com. That's T-H-E-C-O-N-C-E-P-T-S-P-O-T.com. Uh, you can find me. Um, I'm not very active on social through my business because there's no point. I don't get my business through social media. Um, sometimes on LinkedIn, but that's about it. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. I do have a LinkedIn page for the concept spot. And then also for me, Becky Killimnick. But as much as I've been going on and on about graphic design for the last hour, my real passion is my podcast, Homespun Haints. Um, so good. <laughs> yes, I have a creative job. It does sound like I have a dream job, but I found something I like even more, which is this podcast. It's Telling Ghost Stories. And I'm thankful that my business allows me the flexibility and the income to keep this podcast going. It's strongest. It's called Homespun Haints. It's all ghost stories, true ghost stories. We get people from all over the world to come and tell their real life, personal, firsthand ghost experiences on our show. Amazing. Myself and my co-host, Diana, we're the ones that, that interview everyone. And I, uh, I produce it through my business, through the concept spot. And uh, you can find that at homespunhaints.com. And we are on all the social at Homespun Haints, Instagram, Pinterest, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok. Uh, it's all, and even on YouTube, uh, Homespun Haints. And Haints is spelled H-A-I-N-T-S. It's a, you, I'm sure you're familiar with that word, Ella. Yeah. <laughs> Southern word for nasty ghost. (laughs) Yes. And you know what? If you guys want to satellite me in while I'm touring Franklin, one of the most haunted cities, Hell Witch Cave, I'm totally game. Came to go exploring. That would be, that will work something out. That would be so much fun. I can do the exploring and talk about what I see. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about actually. We have, we have something going on right now on our website. We have the most haunted places directory that we're building. It's sort of becoming this like wiki haunts kind of thing. That's our thing. We're, we're crowdsourcing um, just anyone who's been to this, a haunted location. If you have photos to share, if you'd like to write an article for us, uh, yeah, please reach out to us, info at homespunhaints.com. And Ella, if you go and you take photos, let me know. I will. I will. And... <laughs> I was thinking, what else? Sensible Tunnel. Did you ever explore that in Kingsport? Because that's apparently haunted AF. I, I never explored it, but I heard all about it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've been there before. Yeah? I, did you see anything? I didn't, but my friends did. And I, I don't believe I had the level of clairvoyance that they have. Oh, I, I used to hear stuff as a kid and, you know, everybody thought I was crazy. Really? But I used to hear like little ghost voices, whispers in the house. I, and you know, I was kind of convinced that I was just having a dream or I woke up 
in the middle of the night and I see this giant figure in my room picking up my toys. (gasps) Wow. And and so I kind of convinced myself, hey, this was just a dream. This was just my imagination. But I reconnected with one of my brothers. We just had this long conversation and he's one of the biggest skeptics I know. And he said, well, yeah, there was a lot of hauntings in Narrows, the house that we lived in. And my sister-in-law is an archivist, so she has mm-hmm. dealt with a ghost Ooh. on her own. That's exciting. So, that is exciting. I need to hear more about it or get her to come on the show because she is a historian and archivist. She also Ooh, has the academic background that you have. Oh, I'd love to connect with her. That's probably. Awesome. Yeah, she can probably talk a lot about it. I might mention it to her. Uh, That'd be great. Yeah. And as for you, I think you pro- you probably have the ability. You just turned it off. I think so. I think that's what happens is people turn it off because, mm-hmm. you know, growing up, you just hear that, oh, this is, this is evil. This is bad. You tend mm-hmm. to growing up in that, you know, in East Tennessee, you tend to compartmentalize things as right. this is right. This is wrong. Yep. Yep. Even though it's so haunted there. It, oh, it sure is. But you, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. Well, well let's, let's talk off air about Franklin. That would be fun. Yeah, let's do it. Because <laughs> I'd, I'd love to be a guest on a podcast and talk about kind of going in with that, I, what would I say? Someone that doesn't have firsthand experience with hauntings like you guys have. Hmm. I mean, what I heard, what I learned. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I really like what you said about making use of your time, Mm -hmm. managing that, investing into how valuable your time is to you. And that's why you like to invest in technology. So I think that's a really good advice to impart people with. And also just to any entrepreneur out there that is listening, what, what advice would you give them? If you gave yourself 20 years ago before you went into it, what advice would you give yourself? Um, well, first of all, I would tell myself not to listen to people who think they have all the answers. Love it. Because they don't and they're always wrong and they think they know what's best for you and they have no idea what you're doing. Uh, if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you do have to forge your own path. And Do take advice, you know, do try to get mentorship, but also take everything with a grain of salt. And if something doesn't feel right, do not follow it. I did so many things because somebody who supposedly knew what was, what I was supposed to be doing told me to, and that person either, um, diminished, you know, I was diminished in their eyes because I was a woman or they didn't understand that I was selling a service and not a product or, uh, they, yeah. I mean, I had a lot of people that gave me advice based off of me being a mom, you know, and they had like, you know, like, Oh, well make sure you do something where you don't have to travel and stuff like that. And it's like, no, you, and I, I actually got to a point where I started doubting my own intuition. And that's something I've had to start rebuilding is relearning to connect with my intuition because so many things people told me to do 
went flying against what I felt was the right direction for myself. But I was like, oh, well, they're, they're the experts. I'll do what they say. And it ended up biting me. Should I say in the ass? Did. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and I realized looking back, like, no, I knew it was right. They didn't. I'm the expert of my own destiny. I'm the expert of my own business. I'm the expert of what I want. And I need to, if, if I, if I do something and it's not right, I want it to be because I made the decision, not because I followed the advice of somebody else. So that's- I love it. And thank you for that because I know a lot of people are listening. They have definitely gotten some unsolicited opinions around what they wanted to do mm-hmm. and have other people trying to tell them what's best for them. And realistically, and then in the day, we know what's best for us. Intuition and creativity are two of the most unlearned traits that we have as we grow up. So I'm glad you were able to find your intuition and your creativity in spite of all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. That was, that was another big mistake I made. That was another learning curve was to learning how to trust that. Um, One other final piece of advice I want to say to everyone, especially creatives is be sure you charge what you're worth. It, it's not just for you, Absolutely. but it's for all of us. If everybody charges what you're, they're worth, then it's going to make it easier for all of us to demand prices that are in line with our education and our experience. So um, don't, don't take any job that's going to say, oh, we'll pay you $12 or $15 an hour. No, you, are, you have experience. You're worth more than that. Make sure you demand that. Bravo. Bravo. Well, Becky, thank you so much for joining us today. You have imparted so much wisdom. You've got so much talent and I'm so glad you were able to share with us. Thank you so much, Ella, for having me on. I hope I wasn't too disjointed. I feel like I was all over. Not at all. (laughs) Well, thank you. This was a joy to talk to you. It's so nice to connect with another Kingsport escapee, I guess. I said that. <laughs> Escapee. Hey, yeah. I, I think that's perfectly okay to say. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, wait. Hold on. Let's... Thank you again for listening to For Better Self and Net Worth, an independent podcast. If you enjoy the show, please feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Amazon and help me get the word out. Help support the show and also feel free to connect with me on Instagram. My handle is Economic, or check out the For Better Self and Net Worth webpage. It's www.forbetterselfandnetworth.com. I look forward to connecting with you guys and sharing more value. And again, I cannot thank you enough for supporting my podcast. Mm-hmm.